part of having confidence for the future of what God wants to do is looking back and remembering his faithfulness. And so that's why I think things like that are important, to look back and see what Jesus has done. And it gives you courage to go forward because you know he will be faithful. And so here we are, uh, second Sunday in 2011, uh, going to two services, and, uh, and, I'm, and, and I'm so grateful that you came to church. There's something really wonderful about God's people coming together. And I think, you know, as a, as a pastor, for years I've always thought it is a wonderful blessing Somehow, when people get together, there's a, there, we, I don't know that we can ever expect them to come. It's a miracle when they do come. And so I want you to know, in my eyes, you're a miracle. You're a miracle. Jesus is doing something in you, and that's why you showed up at a dirty, nasty, stinky movie theater to have church. So thank you. This morning, we have the special privilege of having a guest speak to us. And this guest is special to me. It's really the first time that I have not spoken on a Sunday, and I'm pleased that this is the person who is speaking to us uh, for the first time as an outside person. And really, he's not an outsider. He's an insider. He's walked with our family, him and his wife and his family. Uh, Britt and Audrey Hancock are missionaries to Mexico and have been for many years, and his, their whole family are down in the, the mountains of Mexico in the state of Puebla, isn't that where it is, in a city called Quetzalan, and they've been doing missionary work in the mountains, the mountainous region, uh, the indigenous people, villages all around that little city, that little town really. And it is a beautiful thing. It is hard work that they do. It is challenging work that they do. Um, but Jesus has rewarded them, has been with them and done so many wonderful things in their lives. They've seen some awesome displays of God's power and his kindness and his mercy. And uh, I- I'm so glad they're in my life. Why don't you guys just stand up for a second? This is uh, the Hancock family right here. Welcome them. Yep. And so... I want to tell you just a, one quick thing about Britt. Britt and I have been friends for about 18 years, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful friendship because we've grown together in ministry and challenged one another. And he has challenged me to be a better man, and I, I think I've done the same for him. And, and we've had many, many long conversations about what God does and how he works inside of a human heart what God does in, in missions work and reaching, putting the gospel into a very dark place. We've had many, many, many talks, much dialogue, and it's no surprise to me that at this juncture in just my life and, and ministry that he would put me together with a, a, a man like this because I believe that as a local church body, we cannot just be concerned about ourselves or what goes on in this room. We cannot be concerned just about what's in Austin even though that's important for us to be good stewards of our city, we must also be concerned about the nations of the world. We must be consumed with the idea that God has a mission and we're part of it. And so uh, Britt and Audrey are going to help us. They're going to partner with us to build one chapel, and we're going to partner with them to build a missionary work that sends and pastors uh, missionaries all over the world. I believe that one day one chapel will be sending missionaries into the darkest countries on the face of the planet. I believe it because I think Jesus has spoken it to us. And it is who we are. It's what defines us. So I appreciate Britt and Audrey so much. Um, 
he's got a little accent, just a, just a little one. You, I think you'll be able to follow him. He's a southerner and uh, speaks a certain dialect, and, um, and he makes fun of my shoes a lot. There's kind of a reverse discrimination. I don't know. There's something like it. He's, he is a country redneck. He describes himself that way. <laughs> But he makes fun of me. I can't figure that out. It's, he makes fun of my car. He makes fun of my clothes. And so, um, but it, we, we have a great time together. It's a wonderful privilege to have him here with us as part of our family, really. And so I want you to do a, a great, huge, big, huge welcome to Britt Hancock, all right? <laughs> Thank you, Britt. Howdy. Hey, y'all. <laughs> it's great to meet you. We've been praying for you and about you and with you. Um, and it's a really an honor and a privilege to get to stand here uh, and preach in a movie theater. <laughs> I preach in lots of places, but never a movie theater. <laughs> now, well, that's not true. I preached already this morning. All right, let's, let's get a couple things straight. Um, uh, I am kind of blunt, and tolerance is not my highest value. Tolerance for God, maybe, I hope. Um, so if I say something that makes you mad, well, we'll also fix it next week. <laughs> it's really not my intention to offend anybody except the devil. Um, I want to talk to you about our core purpose. Let, I want to read the verse to you. Everybody knows it if you've been saved any length of time, more than likely. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God created mankind for fellowship with Him. And mankind fell into sin, and that messed the fellowship thing up. And so He decided to do something about that, and He sent His most precious, the most precious entity in existence as the Son of God. And He sent Him to this earth to give His life so that we can know God. So that we can live in relationship with God. And that is our purpose. We are emissaries. We're ambassadors of this expressed intention of God right here. There is no other purpose. There are things that support that purpose. But this is who we are. I want to read to you um, what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to throw out uh, some ideas. I'm not going to try to be inspirational or give you a good missionary uh, message. That'll come later. Uh, actually, this is the missionary message. This is what this is the octane that drives everything. Um, and I, I want to read to you Jesus' very first message that he preached as it's recorded in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Um. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 uh, says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. 
Okay, so we want to, if we're born again and, and, and we're doing our best to follow Jesus, well, Jesus preached, so must we preach. Whether you're a preacher or not is irrelevant. What you do as a vocation is irrelevant. Your life purpose is this right here. Okay? It says right here, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And what was his first message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And repentance um, involves change and transformation. And his first message laid the need to repent out there, and the whole rest of the book gave substance to what that transformation is all about. But the message is one. Change. Change to become acceptable. And the power of God is what makes us acceptable. Okay, so if you jump down to verse 19, he, he encounters a couple of folks. And he says to them, they were casting the net in the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you, what does it say? Fishers of men. Jesus said, repent and follow. And what does that result in, somebody? You got to help me. Somebody help me preach. You repent and you follow Jesus. And what does that result in? What change? Yeah, you turn into a fisherman of men. Fishers of men. What does that mean? Okay. Let me just shuck it down to the cob for you. That means soul winning and discipleship. All right? That is our purpose. You don't have another purpose. That is the mission of the church. Every staff member of every church should be about doing that personally, not just sort of kind of contributing in a corporate way and one guy he vacuums and another guy he makes sure the website's okay but they never have any interaction with sinners and they don't ever win souls this is not the will of God it's just really not Jesus said follow me and I will make you personally a fisher of men Okay, so look, this is his first message. Let's reckon, reckon what his last message says. Anybody know it? I'm going to back you all up into a corner. Who knows what his last message is? Hello? Come on now. I, you know, I, I, I grew up in the South, and I get nervous if you all don't talk to me. I like to talk. And what is, Let's look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what does it say? Go. Make converts. Ha! Ah! Ding, ding, ding! Good job! It doesn't say make converts. It doesn't say just go crazy because, you know, catching men is not just getting people to pray a prayer. You, listen, you get somebody saved, you are therefore forevermore responsible to turn that person into a disciple. And the reason that you have a pastor is he's going to help you do that. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to help you do it. All right, so 
Look here. Look at y'all understand that? Look here. Jesus' first message, what was it? Repent and follow and what happens? All right, so, so the thing is, is we're not naturally fishers of men. And repentance results in being turned into a fisher of men. So his first message is, win souls, make disciples. All right, let's qualify what win souls here means. It means to make disciples. All right? So we, we have done a great disservice by all the specialization and segregation and sectarianism that's in the church. Uh, and we've, we've got every, all these people cordoned off in all these little compartments. All right, so to win a soul means to make a disciple. Okay? That's what it means. So his first message is about winning souls, about you and I personally winning souls. His last message is about winning souls. And his middle message, oh, I hadn't read that yet. Good, thank you for reminding me. Let's go look, Matthew. <laughs> Chapter 10. This is just cool as butter beans right here. Look at this. Matthew, y'all like butter beans? That's a good thing. My mama can make a pot of butter beans so good it'll make your tongue roll up and slap you in the head. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. <laughs> Look, I'm preaching. I can have fun if I want to. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, enter any town of the Samaritans. He changed that later, by the way. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. All right, so what's his first message? Right down to the cob. What is it? About souls, which requires repentance beforehand. Right? What's his last message? About souls. What's his middle message? About souls. Guess what? The whole message is about souls. That's all it's about. And the power and the transformation and the interaction of God with individuals. That's what it's about. This whole book right here from Genesis to Revelation is a record of God's powerful, intimate, personal Actual interaction with people. Why would he change? Why would he change? Hebrews 13, 8 says he won't change. He's, what he did yesterday, he's going to do today. He's going to keep doing it tomorrow. He's no different. In John 14, it talks about God sending another comforter. Jesus said, I got to go. But don't worry about it because God's going to send another comforter. And that actually means another entity exactly like me. The Holy Spirit. It's not something different. 
It's not something somehow less. We're not at a disadvantage. We're not. Man, I grew up in church, and I thought so many times, man, if I could have just been one of the disciples hanging out with Jesus, I'm walking along, then, then you know, I could understand the mystery of the gospel. And when I first started thinking about that, it's because I wanted to win all the arguments I was in with everybody. I just wanted to be right for the sake of winning the debates. And now I know I'm right, so it don't matter. <laughs> just kidding. No, I am right. Jesus is Lord. That's safe. All right, so let's think about this. Jesus is the all-sufficiency. All right, so let's think about the disciples. They hung out with Jesus. They listened to him every day for three years. They lived with him. They ate with him. They slept with him. And so what was Jesus? Jesus was the most talented communicator ever to walk the earth. Jesus was the most, had the, the greatest understanding of the kingdom of God of anybody to ever live. He had the greatest skill as a teacher. Did he not? He was flawless. He was perfect. So how come we think that church is about the gifting of the preacher? Because they went along, they listened to the master of all masters, and when he died, they freaked out. They didn't get it. They didn't have understanding. The secret is not in the gifting of the teacher. Because it was not until, well, let's read about it real quick. Luke. This is a rabbit trail. I don't know why I'm running down this one. Actually, it, it applies. Let's see. Let me find it. Ah, yes. Okay, so he shows up after he died to the guys on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. And he's like, hey, what y'all talking about? And they're like, what planet are you from? I mean, it don't say it exactly like that, but, I mean, that is what he's saying. And he started explaining the Scriptures again. So before he died, he explained the Scriptures, and after he died, he explained the Scriptures, and then he let them recognize who he was, and he disappeared. And then they ran to the other disciples. And they're talking about it, and they still don't get it. This is the risen Christ now we got talking to them. Even, even, even better, even more abilities, and they still don't get it. Because look, he's explaining to them over again. And then in chapter uh, Luke 24, 44, he said, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. He told them that before. I've been telling you this over and over and over again. You don't get it. Okay. And it says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. That's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Ha. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Here's the secret. Chapter verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. And you can study all you want to. If Jesus doesn't come to you individually and do this, you are not going to get it. And if Jesus comes to you and does this, no amount of study can give you more preparation than that one act. Okay, so 
The message is what? It's about souls. Win souls, win souls, win souls. How? By the direct interaction of God Himself with individuals through His ambassadors. That's how. Okay, so we have a challenge for you. We. I say we. Because like Pastor Ross said, really, you stuck with us. <laughs> We're part of what God's doing here, and, it's in, and this is the beginning, this is the foundation, and the foundation is the most important part. And so we got to get the right stuff in the foundation. You don't have the right ingredients in the concrete, it's going to be bad. And if we miss the core function, the core purpose of the church, and it's not embedded in the foundation, and if you don't like this, then really you need to find somewhere else to go because, because this is our core purpose. This is One Chapel's core purpose. It is and is going to remain the reason we exist is to win souls, which is make disciples. Okay? So, what am I saying? Ah, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Is it a good thing to win souls? Ah, uh, yes, look at this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Now, so often, I want you to get out of your mind that when we say, when Pastor Ross says, when, when Pastor Brent says, win souls, he's not talking about merely evangelize and turn it over to this corporate structure that you have going on here. That's not what this means. You, personally responsible for winning souls. So here's our challenge for you this year. Okay? We're in January. Second Sunday, 2011. And here's what we are asking of you. And what we are going to continue to ask of you. And this will be the expectation and the privilege and the pressure and the relief. Every single Sunday. That you... Win one person to Jesus in 2011 and disciple them. Just one. Just one. You personally. And when I say that, we're not saying, okay, it doesn't count if you invite people to church and they get saved. We want you to do, we want you to invite hundreds of people and that they need to come to get saved. But do you realize that I know about every church paradigm about that there is in the United States. I travel from coast to coast and from border to border and preach in all kinds of different movements and different denominations and, and different flavors, and I don't know any church where everybody wins souls. And according to the Bible, really, that's the only church. This is the message. It doesn't matter if you're not called to be an evangelist. We're not talking about the office of evangelism. We're talking about the core purpose for which we exist. And not just to participate in a church where the pastor is skillful at giving an invitation. Where people are responding at the altars. So our challenge is that you pick out somebody. One person. You start praying for them. And you make the opportunity on purpose to share the gospel with them. And you do not give up. For 12 months. 
and you win that person to Jesus. And when they show up in church, it's because you bring them to church after you got them born again. Okay? And then you say, now what? And that's his job, to equip the brethren to do the work of the kingdom. What's the work of the kingdom? Win souls. I apologize to you that, that the purpose of the church has been buried under all kinds of stuff, all kinds of distractions, where we focus on all of the peripheral things and nobody's doing the core task. People are almost, they're getting saved almost on accident. Because I'm going to prove this to you in just a second. Let's see. Um, Acts 1, 4. All right. Uh, in this church, you will be hearing more about this. But this is, I don't know what you want to call it. There's a whole bunch of adjectives that have bad connotations. But we believe that if the Bible says it, that it works. And it's for us. Whatever you want to call that. Have at it. All right. And so Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, who's, he who's this talking about? Who's talking? He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the, for the gift my father's promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my. Well, what does that have to do with? What are we talking about here? That's a nice piano phone ringing we got going. What's it talking about? Here it is talking about souls again. Hot dog. I am just amazed that Jesus keeps saying the same thing over and over. I'm also amazed how we're distracted by everything but what it says over and over. You'll be my witnesses. Okay, so what's the baptism in the Holy Spirit for? For? Witness. It's for winning souls. All right. So I'm in all kinds of churches where people speak in tongues and they, and they they claim to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so then I ask them, "When's the last time y'all won somebody to Jesus?" And nobody raised their hands. And then I I look at them and just say, "Well, then you ain't baptized in the Holy Spirit." Golly, you're just so blunt. How can you just say that? Well, I mean, come on. How do you know? Cause somebody, you know. Says, who stole my Honda? Should have bought a Kia. Anybody can do that. Oh, you're being sacrilegious. No, that stuff needs to be made fun of. Because that's not real. All right, so if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there will be souls in your life. If there are not souls in your life, then you need to get a hold of the altar. Oh, look, we can't figure it. You, you can't find the solution to the problem until you admit that there's a problem. All right? 
I'm not beating you up. I want to inspire you. Let's go. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Today is the day of salvation. And if you used to win souls a lot and then something happened, who knows? I don't know. You quit for some reason. Why? Why? Because you don't want to make people uncomfortable because Austin's not that way because Austin is special and has more power than the power of God. What is that? Hmm. We're supposed to transform society, not reflect it. We are agents of change. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We have been given an apostolic ministry. Do you know what the word apostolic means? You know what an apostle is supposed to be? Okay, forget all the bad stuff. Let me explain to you what apostle means. Apostle comes from a maritime understanding from the Roman Empire. The Roman army would go in and conquer the territory. Jesus has conquered the territory. The next thing to happen is the Roman Empire would send a fleet of ships, trade ships, merchants, judges, and the fleet of ships would have Roman culture in it. And the first ship to go into the port into the new water was called the apostleship. And you know what it was charged with doing? Transforming that foreign society to reflect Rome's values. So we have been given an, an apostolic ministry, meaning we must transform society. We must be the transformers of culture. To, from what kingdom? The kingdom of God Almighty. I don't care what the values are in Austin or in Houston or whatever city. We're not from here. Don't act like it. We're from heaven. Our citizenship is from heaven. Be filled with the power of God. All right, so, oh, man, I don't know how I'm doing time-wise. Okay, so let's talk about Gideon. Okay? Y'all know about Gideon? Judges chapter 6. Let's go look at it real quick. Pastors, is this going okay? All right. <sighs> Judges chapter 6. The story of Gideon is awesome. So the story of Gideon really is the story of our lives. Okay? And so what is the, what is the story of Gideon? Here's the story of Gideon. Judges chapter 6. Israel was subjugated by the Philistines. And it had been six or seven years that they were under affliction. And, and they were so intimidated by this foreign occupation that they were hiding in caves and the Philistines were coming burning their crops. They would wait till right till harvest time. And then they would sweep down and burn all their crops. And so what does that mean? That means there's going to be lots of hungry folks. All right, so this is not a good thing. And so, you know, God had mercy on the groaning, and he decides to rescue his people. He decides to break the bondage of his lost sheep. And that's what we are. We are the people that he's decided to use to rescue those in bondage, to rescue people that are, in, that are afflicted by the armies of hell. All right, and so... He shows up on the scene, and uh, verse 12, it says, the, 
when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, you know, if you know much about Gideon, he was a chicken, really. He, he wasn't. He, 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 there was no distinction except what's recorded right here. All right, so you skip down to 14. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manassas, and I'm the least in my family. And so often, way down deep inside, this is what we think. I can't do that. Let him do it. He can do it. I can't speak. I can't sing. I don't know the Bible well enough. I, I, I'm the least person. You know, usually you either think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and you're not worth spit, or you're worth all the treasure in heaven and you think you're dirt. And God is, most of us really down deep inside think, I can't do that. I'm scared. I'm the least. And my family is. And, and so we play this comparison game. Well, look at him. He can do it because his, his measure of faith is bigger than mine. His gifting is bigger than mine. His talents are better. He's this. He's that. He's the other. And instead of looking at Jesus, we look at each other. And that's the wrong thing to do. All right. And so the Lord says in, in, in verse 16, the Lord answered, I'll be with you and you'll strike down all the Midianites together. And we know what happened, you know. So what's the story? He called 22,000 people together. God said, that's too many. Why did he say that's too many? Chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. And I can tell you, this is prophetic for the American church. We can do anything. We have the best teaching. We have the best worship. We have the best buildings. We have the best websites. We have the best technicians. We have the most knowledge. And we have the least amount of power. Power meaning the power of God. Because we can succeed in doing church. And the Holy Spirit doesn't even have to come. I'd rather die than be a part of a place like that. And I'm being serious. Ugh, I'm not supposed to be intense. I'm supposed to be nice to you. <laughs> In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has accomplished this. Okay, so that right there is the tension. We either think we can't or we think we can instead of submitting and saying, okay, God, I'm scared and I can't do this and I'm going to do what you said anyway, even though I probably look like a fool. Because... There's a unique character about God. He loves it when we face our fear and do it anyway. Okay? So let's look at Moses real quick. Moses, Exodus chapter 3. We have the burning bush thing going on. Y'all who know, who doesn't, raise your hand if you don't know the story about the burning bush. I don't see any hands here. All right, so we all know the story. Moses said, that's weird looking. That's why God does manifestations, weird things, to make you run over there close. Really, really. 
And so he gets established, hey, you know, there's something going on here. This is God he had an encounter with. And then look what God says to him. Verse 10, so now I am sending you to Pharaoh. Bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, now here we go. You know, Ed, there's this, this word, but. Gideon used that word. But God, I can't because. Here Moses is doing the same thing. But God, I can't because. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go out to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign. And then Moses said, but uh, in 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. Blah, 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 blah. And then God told him what to say. And so there's this back and forth dialogue. And Moses is arguing with God the whole time. All right, so we get down to chapter 4. And Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me, God? And so you're saying, what if they say no? I'm scared. I'm intimidated. I don't want to push people. I don't want to turn them off. Okay, so let's get this straight. They're already off. If they're not saved, they're off. They're already going to hell. There's not two hells. There's only one. And if you do it with the right heart, and it's the word of God you give them, it matters not about their reaction because the word's going to work on their heart and it's going to work on their mind. It's the word of God that draws them. That's why you need to learn the plan of salvation because it works. All these tracts that are written in a cultural context, you know, and lifestyle this and lifestyle that and cultural relevancy, I am not... And refuse to follow the fads of men. Cultural relevancy is not the secret. Communicating to people in a way they understand is. And those are two different things. And so, what if they don't listen to me? And God says, okay, I'll fill your hands with the ability to do signs and wonders. That's your answer. Not a special kind of syrup that you put in your hair. <laughs> or them dumb women's jeans that men are wearing all over the place now. <laughs> Oops. Ross is like, oh no, I got to fix a bunch of stuff now. Sorry. Don't put that on the tape. <laughs> yeah. See, I think it needs to be made fun of, too, because that's not the secret to winning souls. The power of God is. So next time I come here, I'm going to wear overalls and black my front teeth. <laughs> okay, but I want you to see this. We have this idea that we want to sit and wait until God turns us into Superman. And, and, and until we have no deficiencies and no weaknesses and no inabilities. But look what Moses said here in, in, in chapter 10. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And you know what? God never changed that weakness about Moses. He used him with his weakness. And, 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 and so what you have now is enough. 
You don't have to wait till tomorrow. And you don't have to get, 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 get something that you don't have. You have everything. Because it's not about what you have. It's about who you know. You can do it. We can do this. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Because look. Oh, man. I got to hurry, Donna Ross. Uh, let's see. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you've crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven. Heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The gospel is by nature narrow-minded. There is only one way. There is no platform for dialogue. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, that's the point, being with Jesus. That's the preparation that God wants out of us. You can do anything if you have that. See, look, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing, nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So why don't we decide to let this thing that we're a part of here rests on the power of God. You know the story, uh, let's read about it real quick. Matthew chapter 14. Because this is the message. I sh- I, I, we talked about Gideon. We talked about Moses. Now we need to talk about us. And there's this really cool thing in here. Matthew chapter 14. It's about God multiplying the food. And we've seen quite a few food multiplication miracles. Yeah, I know. I'm going to end with this. Jesus feeds the 5,000. They go out there and there's a whole bunch of folks, 5,000 men plus women and children. And the disciples saw, wow, they're hungry. And, and, and they told Jesus, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And then what did they say? The same thing Gideon said and the same thing that Moses said. But, Lord, we only have, and they were saying, we can't do this with this. 
there's only what? Five loaves and two fish, they answered. And Jesus said, give it to me. The little that you have, bring it to Jesus. He'll bless it and give it back to you, and you'll do extraordinary things with that. You see, because here's the thing. There was a great miracle when the, when the nation of Israel was, was going into the promised land for the first time to conquer it. There was a miracle that happened when they crossed the Jordan River. Anybody know what it was? The river stood up in a heap, and they walked through on dry ground. God did that. The power of God did that. But if you read about it in Judges, if you're interested in reading about it, it's, or Joshua chapter 3, the priest had the ark. Nothing happened to the water until they got their feet wet. All right, so you got to get in the water. You got you to gotta engage right now, today, this afternoon, or tomorrow. You got to get in the water, and you have to start dialoguing with sinners. And you got to get your feet wet. And you need to be frustrated and embarrassed because you don't know what to say or how to do it. And you let that fuel you to find out from God how this must happen. It's just like this. And I'll close with this. I want to challenge you with this. How many of you like to fish? Raise your hand. All right, what kind of fishing do you do? Trout. Trout fishing. Any bass fishermen in here that use a bass boat? And All right, you got all kinds of stuff, right? You don't got the boat? You like to bass fish? Well, you know, let's say there's a bass fisherman. He's got a bass boat, and he's got fish finders. He's got depth finders. And, he, 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 you know, you, you blink your eye, and you spend $100,000 on the boat and the trailer and the, and the truck and the tackle, right? And you drive out there, and you turn that little thing on around. You look at all the little fish swimming around. That's really cool. But are you going to catch any fish if you don't take your rod and put the hook in the water? Y'all, we are the most equipped church on earth. We don't ever put our hooks in the water. And you can't stand over there at the aquarium and yell over there at the lake, Hey, fish, jump in here so I can catch you. You got to go where the fish are. The Bible says to go. It don't say expect them to come here and somehow they accidentally get born again. You got to set a goal. So the goal that we're setting for souls is one soul in one year for the one God. And so I want everybody to stand up. I'm sorry that that human nature and the church and other entities have lied to you to tell you that you don't have what it takes right now. The Bible says different. You can do this. Your weakness actually profiles Jesus. It's the thing that lets him be him. Your weakness is not an excuse for non-engagement. Okay? Because cowards go to hell. What is a person who has valor. Someone who does the right thing in spite of the fear that they have. And so I want you to think about inside. 
about, about the thoughts. How did, how did Ross put it this morning? The thoughts that you were thinking as I'm saying, you need to win a soul this year. And all of the excuses that came up why you can't. I want to pray for you right now. I want you to give that to Jesus. And I want you to say, Jesus, honestly, I'm scared. I don't know how. Or I'm sorry that I stopped doing this. I used to do it when I was young and didn't know everything. Now I learned all about the gospel and I quit doing what it's all about. Because I know there's everybody. And, and, and don't try to hide from God because I, I can't sort of prophesy and articulate and give a word of knowledge exactly where your heart is. You get my message, right? Offer up whatever there is inside that's an obstacle to you saying, okay, I'll do it. And let's do this thing. Let's let this thing rest on the power of God so that he is the one that is seen. Because I can promise you, if every one of you people win somebody to Jesus and disciple them this year, it'll be the only church in the United States that's ever done it, more than likely. I don't know about it. Let's be the first to do the thing. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you take our inadequacies and our weaknesses and, and, and the things that are trying to strangle us, that are trying to be excuses, our fears, our depression. Lord, we bring it to the cross and we lay it down because we know that your burden is light. We, 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 we give you the thing that's weighing us down so that we can be picked up by you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you touch these people and take my fumbling words and, and, and my blunt ways, Father, and I ask you to, to, to speak deep in their hearts and deep in their minds and cause a transformation to happen. What we want to see is new souls because that's what you want to see. And we don't have to have a prophetic word or word of knowledge to tell us that that's what you want. Your word already says that. That's the threshold of what we do. That's the core of what we do. That's the end of what we do. That is our purpose. And I ask you to consume us. I ask you to transform our thinking. I ask that you reorient us. Put us on the same page, God, in the name of Jesus. your marching orders I want to do one more thing before we go a couple things actually if you just keep your eyes closed for a moment um, maybe this is a a moment where um, you want to follow Jesus maybe it's for the first time or for the first time in a long time if this is your first time being in church then you must be thinking this is the craziest place ever and yet there is something inside of you that's telling you, I need to follow Jesus. He is the answer. So I just, I, I have a commitment to make it possible for people when they come to church to respond to the calling that is in their hearts. And if Jesus is calling you today, I just want to know about it. 
And so if you're here and you haven't followed Jesus ever in your life, or maybe it's just been a long time and you've gotten off track and your plan is really turning out to be really poor, you want to respond to today to Jesus and you want to give your life to him and you want to follow him. You want your life to have purpose and meaning beyond yourself. Would you just shoot your hand up in the air just so I can see it? Yep, I see you over there. Anybody else? Yep, I see you, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? So good. That is such a great decision. Anybody else in the room? There's nothing nothing better than that. Now, I want to pray with everybody, and um, I want you to repeat some words after me, but it's not the words that really make the difference. We say things that we don't mean way too often. (laughs) What I want you to do is I want you to pray from your heart and mix faith with these words that we're going to pray together. And let Jesus do something as you repent and believe. Choose to follow him. So everybody together, if you'd pray this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to this earth to die for me, to wash my sins away, to restore my life and make me into a new person. I receive Jesus into my heart. I want to follow him. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my failures, my foolishness. I choose you. I choose to follow you. Come and be Lord of my life and make me into the new person that you want me to be. I receive you now. Now, Father, every person who is praying this prayer in faith, I pray that you would meet them. I pray that you would help them to sense that your peace and your strength and your courage is all descending upon them now, that it's regenerating them from the inside out. And, Father, I pray that you would give them courage to follow after you all the days of their life. Father, I thank you for what you're challenging us to do today, to not live our lives distracted, to not live our lives just by accident, but to be intentional in your calling and what you've given us to do, to go, to be your ambassadors. Father, we pray that you would give every one of us in this room the courage to pray for, to seek out, and to, and to talk to people about what you're doing and what you want to do in their lives. Give us the strength to do that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time, I really want you to, I want to want to know about it. So if you would fill out a little card, that little connection card that Pastor Brent talked about earlier, and mark that little box that said, I've committed my life to Christ today because I want to help you with next steps. I want to help you find your way into this life that you're wanting to live in Jesus. And so put that in the offering as it goes by. That's what we're going to do is our last act of worship today is we're going to give our tithes and our offerings. If you're brand new here, we don't expect you to give in this offering, but this is something that we've committed to do as people who are called by God to serve his kingdom and many times you know it's 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 we talk about giving our lives to Christ but really we find that money is one of the most difficult things to give to let go of because it represents so much about who we are and so we choose to trust God
and by giving him our worship in the form of our tithes and offerings. And then we use it to build God's kingdom. We use it to serve people who are in need. And so that's why we do this. And so I want you to prepare to give tithes and offerings here and we'll worship the Lord together while we do it. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, we don't give this offering out of duty or out of some kind of investment that we think we need something back. You've already given us so much. We believe it all belongs to you. And so that's why we give because we want to worship you. We want to worship you and honor you with what we have. And so, Lord, we give. We ask you to do something awesome with what we give. Expand it. Let your, let your kingdom grow in Austin and in cities around the world where your mission's work is, is going forward. Lord, we thank you for this, and we honor you with it. We give with joy because you have put joy in our hearts. We love you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord while we give. Amen.